Thank you for joining us today. My name is Maccabee Griffin. And I'm Marcella. And this is Beyond the Pen, where we take the well-known adage, read between the lines to a whole new level and beyond. Each week we sit down with a new author to not only discuss one of their books, but also learn the story behind the story. Okay, Marcella, this one is going to be really fun and interesting. The book itself is definitely not really a book, but more of a guide, if anything. Mm -hmm. And this, I think, is going to be something that a lot of people that are going through hard time in their life is, are really going to need, but not more for the parents, but more for the children. And I think this is something that if I had this when I was a kid and I was going through this, this would be something that I really liked. And here's the other thing that I really thought about that was interesting about this is that it's not only by one person, it's by him, his sister, and his mother. And they did this a while back. They did this back in 1997. But I thought it would be really cool just to have him on there and just explain this to him, you know, after it was done, of course. And so this is more of a reintroduction to the world of what type of book we're talking about. And the book we're talking about is called Divorce is Not the End of the World, Zoe Evans' Coping Guide for Kids. So, Marcella, you want to do the honors? Yeah, I I am so excited about this just because this is a friend that I made on on Clubhouse, but I feel like he is extended family. So I just want to introduce you all to my good friend, Evan Stern. Evan, tell Tell us about yourself. Tell people, just tell them about you. Thank you so much for having me. I grew up in Minnesota. My parents divorced when I was six or seven. My sister was a couple of years older. We'll get to it later, but uh, the book came out a few years after that. Grew up in a Minneapolis suburb, had a nice upbringing. Recently moved to California, so I'm living in LA now and loving it. And you know that that's me in a nutshell. No, I think that's awesome. You know, at least if we have a spot, if we go to Los Angeles for anything, Marcello, we know where we can call. Uh, but anyways, I would love to, I would love to entertain you two here in LA. Oh, see, there we go. That, that's confirmation. We have it on record. You can't go back on it. Oh, so, so I, I want to, I want to start this off by um, yeah, telling ahead. you, first of all, this book has go come ahead. at a really great time for me mm-hmm. and for my little one. and. Yeah, I spoke with Evan earlier. I took your advice. I went and I looked at the chapters. I just want to say that off the bat. But I need to ask you, what was the inspiration or the catalyst for you guys coming up with this how-to guide for children? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My mother is an author. That's her career. And so a lot of the work that she's done in her life has come from firsthand experiences, life experiences, and having a lot of insight to share with others. So when she saw that my sister and I were going through a major life change, something clicked. And when my parents divorced, it was 1990, 1991. And my mom perceived, I think, pretty accurately that there was a dominant cultural narrative regarding divorced families and kids who go through a process of divorce or separation, that being negative, harmful, traumatic. And my mom felt like 
ours was the opposite, that, that it had been a healthy process for us and that we were doing quite well. And that that wasn't a story that was told. Furthermore, she felt like we were able to speak to that, like we were articulate. And so having a, a background in, uh, in this kind of uh, writing, this kind of book, and seeing that there was an important story that could help others, um, my mom came up with the idea. She pitched it to her, her book people. They loved it. And then she pitched it to us. We thought it was great. And that triggered a series of conversations. You know, as, as we'll probably get to, the book is more of a guide. You kind of pick and choose the chapters that are relevant to you or to your family. So we had conversations based on each of those topics. My mom facilitating dialogue, recording everything that my sister and I said, and then piecing together our language and our ideas into the book format with her occasionally adding in bits and pieces. So that's the, the sort of the origin of the book and how it came to be. You know, I, I definitely saw that because when you open the book, it, it the first thing you see, obviously, besides the acknowledgments, which I thought were really cool, too, uh, personally, because it gave a voice not only to you and your sister and to your mom, but it allowed uh, other people to realize, OK, this is how close uh, this how personal this really is. And as someone who comes from a blended family, um, I connected with your book and can see how if I did have a connection with my mother uh, at the time, I can see at, that this would have helped me with getting through that. And I noticed that even though you and your family wrote this book back when you were a child, you updated this for another generation. What was it like to revisit the past to make it better for future generations? We were nine and 11 when mm -hmm. we wrote the first edition. So we were 10 years older when we revised and updated. So part of that is just about the perspective and the maturity that you acquire in adolescence. Now we were still in our developmental phases. But I think that Zoe and I had a lot more perspective and we were able to maintain a lot of the, the truth and the timeless wisdom that was in the original version while maybe tweaking a little bit of language or adding things here and there that we understood better in our early 20s than in our early teens, number one. Number two, times change. Technology oh. changes. You know, the cell phone barely existed when the first edition came out. When the second one came out, the iPhone was nearly ubiquitous. So we wanted to make sure that we were not having any uh, cultural references um, that were outdated, that were irrelevant, certainly to younger kids, oh. but also that we were keeping up with the times in the ways that children going through the process of a, a divorce or a separation might relate to um, contemporaneous culture technology. So that's what a lot of it was, um, just making sure it was relevant and up to date. Now, do you think you're actually going to have a, you know, revise it maybe another 10 years down the road or anything like that, uh, just to keep it relevant with the times? Because honestly, I do believe that this would help a lot of families that are going through that. 
You know, it's a great question. And I think the answer is definitely not. You know, at the time when we wrote it, there was nothing like this. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason we, we wrote it. You know, I learned a lot through this mm-hmm. process about myself, about the experience of a major life change, but also about the publishing industry. Yeah. And one of the lessons that my mother imparted on us is if you have an idea, the first thing you need to do is your research. And if a book already exists, don't write it. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there was nothing like this, and it, it filled a very important unmet need. And I'm proud to say that since our book has come out, others have uh, come onto the scene. Others have entered the marketplace. And that's all to the good. You know, not every book is going to be the right fit for each child. And we're, ours isn't the only one available. And so in 10 years, I'm not going to be a child and I'm not going to be anywhere near being a child anymore. Mm-hmm. It is uh, easier today than ever before to self-publish. We see with uh, with Gen Z, um, uh, you know, a lot of these up-and-comers are incredibly media savvy they're incredibly tech savvy and they also oftentimes have wisdom that that i as a millennial just don't have access to so should there be another version of this book in a decade absolutely are we the right people to write it no we're not no we're not let's let the next generation come up and share their wisdom you know i'm really glad you actually said that because you're right you're you hit it right on the head when it came to this the specific subject that yes, uh, as a millennial, you know, as you get older, you're going to have a different perspective than what you had 10, 20 years ago. And to me personally, I think the way that you guys revised it now is definitely a point where, you know, it's perfect as it is. And to me, I think it would be, I, I think it's a great stepping stone for, like you said, the next generation of writers to be inspired buy your family's book and to think about, okay, how can I take this, which I think is really good as a base and spin it to be something more up to date with my generation. Mm -hmm. And what I think something that a lot of people will probably look at it as is that I noticed that while I was reading your family's book, it felt more like you were both sitting down with the reader, in this case, young people, and having a direct conversation with them. Why was this, or was this even something consciously that you all were going for? Well, I think it's much more accessible when it feels like a conversation. And indeed, the book was written as a conversation amongst the three of us. Uh, so it, it it is printed out in conversational form. Zoe will have a couple paragraphs. I'll have a couple paragraphs, maybe a note from my mom. And that is very much how we created the uh, the raw material. Mm-hmm. We sat down. I remember the, the cafe that we went to and we would have a conversation. And now my mom brilliantly extracted the most relevant wisdom right and kept that conversational style but that's how people tend to relate the most to i i think the most to this kind of of material mm-hmm. you know uh narrative fiction literature is a different story but this is about people's lives and their experiences so the more that it can feel like a, a direct dialogue or a small group conversation i think the more people will be able to resonate with that and that's how we wrote it 
what kind of feedback did you get when you guys first wrote the book together uh, from friends and family? And, and more specifically, if this is not too personal, from your father. People were very proud, very supportive. You know, I think everybody understood that my mother did the, the lion's share of the labor uh, to bring this book from idea to, to marketplace but also recognize that this was the first real work of any kind that my sister and I had done. And um, my father and other family members and friends were all incredibly proud. You know, I think that is absolutely uh, 100% the, the great thing that makes a great book is when you have so many people in your lives that are so supportive, uh, especially those that are involved to make it a lot easier to create this and to come up with something that will make a connection with somebody, especially when you get multiple people looking at it to get their insight into it. And of course, your mom being so great at being an author herself, I also liked that every chapter wasn't a title, but a question that many children have and that in the copy that I received had added what looks like letters from other children that have asked these same questions and give them an answer that I'm sure it took you all quite a while to answer for yourselves. What made you all want to add these to the revised and updated version? Yes. The, the question I think is the central vehicle for understanding the world for for most children particularly when the world is scary when when life throws you a curveball and when things seem a little bit unstable what is happening why is it happening most importantly what can i expect in the future that's the reason why each chapter is introduced through the the frame of a question the letters was a component that we included in the original edition continued to revise that in the updated edition. And these are composites of conversations that we had had with other friends or family members. So the names are made up and the exact language of the letter we crafted, but they represent real feelings, real questions that either that we had or that people in our life had shared with us. And that's uh, that's sort of the origin of the letters, but we wanted to be sure like the rest of the book that we updated those uh, for relevancy and, and uh, contemporary context 10 years later. I'm going to, I'm going to put out one of them today. Um, this one is written, uh, dear Zoe, my mom keeps asking me whether my dad is dating anybody. Obviously she wants me to tell her, but it makes me feel uncomfortable because I know she isn't going to like the answer. I've met my dad's new girlfriend and I don't want to lie to my mother but I don't want to be the one to tell her in case it causes more problems between my parents. Mm -hmm. What should I do? And you put Matt, age 13. Obviously you said that these names were made up, but the situations are so real. Were these more of questions and situations that you've already went through or with these things that you've seen with other people uh, that you in, within your group of friends that have had these same questions or same situations happen. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, the letter is made up. There is no Matt. 
but this is a very real and unfortunately all too common um, a problem. Now, my sister and I were very lucky in that our parents avoided almost every possible misbehavior that can often uh, come with divorce or separation. We were very lucky and we recognize that. But we also recognize that there were a lot of common experiences that we didn't have access to that needed to be addressed in the book. That's why we included this question, because it does come up. We felt like we could provide a helpful response, even though it wasn't something that we experienced personally. We knew it needed to be there. I think that the one that stands out to me the most um, is the one that I struggle with now or I'm challenged with now. Uh, mm -hmm. Chapter three, stop trying to make me feel better. Because mm -hmm. I think as parents, that's the first thing we want to do. We want to comfort our children and make them yeah. happy. Um, you know, at the same time, letting them know that nothing is their fault. And I, I saw something in there about that as well. Um, did you feel that way at any time? Like your parents were both trying to overcompensate for anything? Is that where this came from? Or again, was this just something that was made up because you actually adjusted well to the breakup? Thank you. I think we adjusted well. But I also think my parents were grasping a bit at the beginning to make us feel better. You know, I think this is one of the things where the, hind, the, the benefit of, of 25 years of, of uh, life experience, you know, I can understand a little bit of the layered intricacies that go into compassionate and intentional parenting. When your child is experiencing extreme pain or extreme discomfort, it can oftentimes be a two-tiered strategy. What do I do right now to remove my child from this pain or this trauma? But I also need to recognize that there may be uh, some things that I do in the intermediate or longer term to make sure that they don't just uh, uh, exit this moment, but that they move forward in a healthy in a healthy way. And oftentimes that can mean living with some degree of pain, living with some degree of discomfort. You know, children have to go, go through that. That's a part of resiliency and growing up. So I think our parents necessarily took some steps when the pain was, was incredibly raw and scary. Uh, you know, I remember uh, something that we did never, that we never did in my household, which was take a trip to the grocery store and sort of supermarket sweep style, just buy whatever you want. You want zebra cakes? Go get them. Twinkies? Go get them. Some weird juice that you're probably going to hate, but it looks great. Just buy it, whatever. Yep. You know, and I remember that. I remember thinking, this is unusual. Mm -hmm. This is weird. And this is very much intentional. Even at that young age, I could recognize that they were just trying to make us feel good right then and there. Now, Having said that, I think that it was also important that they let us cry it out. Mm -hmm. They let us feel our feelings. They knew there were going to be easy days and hard days and good months and bad months. And, you know, the, the bottom line here, I think, Marcella, is that what parents need to look out for is not acting out of service out of their own emotional needs and acting out of service out of their children's emotional needs needs. Now, if you see your child going through some discomfort and some pain, and that makes you uncomfortable, it's like, okay, well, am I trying to treat my own pain and discomfort? 
or am I intentionally thinking through what will be the most healthy process for relating to these complicated feelings and moving forward for my child? And I think if, if you just continue to center uh, the healthy developmental needs of the children, you'll know when to yank them from an extreme case of pain and discomfort, and you'll know when to let them feel the difficult feelings. Sometimes there's no answer. There's nothing tender you can do. And oftentimes that may be exactly the right thing to do. And you just need to be at peace with that. And, you know, I, I really, man, I'm so glad we had you on here because I believe that a lot of people really try to put a lot of emphasis on, okay, how can I make this easier for my kids? How can I make them feel special through this hard time? And there is that a lot of that point of let's go on a shopping spree. Let's go to wherever you want to go. So mm -hmm. I know that I can at least make this up to you in some way, shape or form because of the guilt mm -hmm. that the parents are feeling. The other thing that I really like about this is that for all those out there, you're not uh, certified in child psychology. You don't have any background in dealing with uh, social situations with children, correct? Correct. And yet everything you're saying and have written in here with your family is completely and utterly true. And that's why I always say that family stories are so important and that people need to hear them in a way that makes it feel better for whoever's writing it. And in this case, Zoe, you and your mother. And one of the other things I, I thought was interesting, I believe it was your mom who wrote this, is that the day that she and your dad actually sat down and told you both that you were, that they were getting a divorce, you guys obviously ran off and I, uh, maybe it was your sister who said it, uh, that you both ran off, you were crying. And about 20 minutes later, you both came back and you were holding hands. And what was the first thing that you asked your parents? Do you remember? You were asking about, will there be two TVs? And the reason why I bring that up is because it shows the resilience of children, even in situations like this. Yes. And that made me feel like so much a better about, you know, if I ever, God forbid, I ever have this happen. But it made me feel like that I obviously had a way to do it and understand what's going on. But the other thing I really enjoyed was is that you guys put out there that you have an opinion and that's one of the things that children need to show to their or to be verbal with their parents why do you think this is so important especially during that early time uh being so raw that there's such an opinion out there for children uh well it's it's just important to match the energy you know mm -hmm. i think if, if as a parent you're coming from your own perspective of, you know, the story that you told yourself before you had children and the problem with that story now, right? I don't think any parent goes into having children with the expectation of instability, mm -hmm. with the expectation of change. And oftentimes I think that can be some of the hardest things to process as a parent falling short of your own expectations for the life that you plan to provide to your kids. There's a lot, and that may be 
a very real thing they're feeling that you need to address. But by allowing and inviting kids to feel their feelings, to express themselves, right? Oftentimes it's a statement in the form of a question, mm-hmm. right? Or a question in the form of a statement. But to encourage them to feel things, to let them know this is new. This is a new thing. That means it's going to be hard. That means it's going to be um, maybe at times overwhelming. And you might have thoughts or questions, and they're not necessarily going to come up right away. But I think to continue to keep the door open, to continue to keep the forum open and check in regularly, um, because it's a it's a huge life change. And it's it's both a way to avoid centering uh, your own perspective or your own need, which may be um, may not be so so relevant to the experience of your child and to also be sure that they know. Even if they don't have any questions, even if they don't have anything to say, they need to know that you're there if they do, that you're listening, that you're curious if and when they do. And just knowing that you have them centered in your heart and not yourself, that alone can be huge, even if they don't choose to open that door, even if they have no comments or questions to bring to that forum. The reason why I was saying that was because There's a lot of things that, especially as you go further into the book, where there's more of, okay, we need you to understand that, again, this is not your fault, that this is something between me and your mom or me and your dad. And it's not that we don't love you. It's not that we're not happy having you around. It's just the fact that we feel that, you know, again, we need to be separated from one another to have a happier life. And for someone, again, who's had a blended family, it can be a real hard thing to go through, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to, OK, now I have all these other things that are being added into the situation. You know, there's a lot of stress of not feeling normal, not feeling like your family is perfect. Mm-hmm. and. One of the things that I really was looking at when I was looking at this is like that situation when others come into play. And I wanted to ask you specifically what it was like to actually go through that and then revisit it again when you were revising your book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great question because a lot of the pieces there about oh, my mom is dating or, you know, my dad is moving in with somebody. A lot of that was rather theoretical at the time. And so with the benefit of an additional 10 years or so, we had more experience. Mm-hmm. Now, when we wrote the book, my dad was already uh, in a new committed relationship and that that didn't change. But my mom had gone through a series of relationships uh, in the in, in the decade that passed, including another marriage and another divorce. So we just had a lot more life experience, I think, uh, to reflect on. And also, as we were entering into adulthood in our own sense, we're able to balance out and and understand that some of this is, is like we were speaking about centering the kids and the kids' experience, but it's also important that the parents set up a positive and healthy example 
by doing what they need to do for themselves and letting it be known that they're doing what they need to do for themselves. And I think if a child is concerned that they are the cause of a divorce, right? And this is a reassurance that we see oftentimes, then certainly address that. And you might even go so far as to say, we want what's best for you. And us fighting or not getting along is not what's best for you. What is best for you is for us to be in separate places. Now, that may be true and that may be helpful. But if you say that and you don't underline it with the foundation, which is we aren't, this marriage is not make, is not bringing out the best of us. This relationship is not healthy for us. Your father and I, or your mother and I, we need to be apart for us to be happy, for us to be healthy. So that is both a way to say, this isn't about you. It's about us. And it's a way to say, yeah, this will be better for you. But fundamentally, we're doing this because this is what is right for us. And that's a very important lesson, particularly with younger children to learn early on that relationships, dating, love, and and marriage um, is right only when it makes sense for the adults. And if it doesn't make sense for the adults, then they need to tell a story that, that if there's a question about what's best for the kids, absolutely. This is what's best for you. But that's because us being our best are able to create the environment that is best for you. And this is about us living our best lives for us and for you. you there, there's so much wisdom in, in this. And I'm, I, I don't, I really don't know what to say really to that, except for that, you know, we are so blessed to have you here to tell us about this. And I have one more question and then I'll let Marcella have her, her couple of questions before we close. And that is, um, what has this taught you as you've grown up in your own personal life? How has it made you a better man? Hmm. I do think that this experience has, has given me some resilience in ways that I'm not sure I could articulate or name exactly, but it is a lot to go through at a young age. And, and that I think gave me some strength. I also think that I benefited tremendously from the array of positive adult influences in my life. You know, a lot of kids out there only have one parent. A lot of kids are blessed to have two parents. I'm incredibly lucky in that I have three. I have a stepfather who's been in my life for 30 years. And that's an advantage that a lot of people don't. Now, I took it for granted when I was young, but now I recognize how much of a blessing that's been. And I'm able to look back at my life and my upbringing and see that that, that was a, an, an incredible boon. And, and even some of the men that, that my mother dated, maybe for a year here or nine months there. I I was blessed. A lot of positive adult male influences in my life 
some more long-term than others. But, uh, you know, my, I think my mom was very responsible in introducing to us only the people that were solid enough to be there. Sure, she went out with a lot of people who I never met, but I can think of a handful of men over the course of maybe 15 years or so that were incredible. So, you know, I think about that. I think about that as a benefit. I think about that as a privilege. And it also set a very healthy example for me about long-term commitment. It's not to say that long-term committed relationships can't work or won't work. It's also to say that sometimes a relationship is supposed to last only a certain amount of time. Now, I think my parents would both agree that they wouldn't do anything different. They have zero regrets and that the the marriage and the and the partnership, first of all, the partnership lasts forever because we're here, but that the marriage and the life together lasted exactly as long as it was supposed to. I look at my parents' marriage as, as a success, as a success. I think it's easy to think something that ends is a failure, but that's not true. Marriages, relationships, partnerships, I believe, can be successful. What makes them a failure is if they last longer than they should and they start to ferment and get disgusting and toxic. So that's an example for me in my own love life, in my own dating patterns to say, I can enter into a serious relationship with somebody, but I don't have any illusions that what defines that as successful is permanence or endurance, but for whatever the appropriate duration, whether nine months, nine years, or 90 years, as long as it's healthy, as long as we're continuing to grow and enjoy each other, and it feels like a good fit, that's a successful relationship. And sometimes 10 years is just the right amount of time. And that's a win too. Ending something when it's the right time to end it is just as important as how good every day was along the way. It's amazing. Um, I didn't know how this was going to make me feel, how it was going to impact me being here. I just knew that I wanted to um, highlight your book and speak to my friend. And um, I have to tell you how incredibly grateful I am for all of it. So uh, I have two questions. I'm going to have to rethink them for a moment because they, they don't really apply to you as much as they apply to other authors. But the first one is, can you remember, and if you can remember, what was your writing kryptonite when you guys all came up with this book for you personally? Frankly, it's a challenge that I still struggle with, which is too much, too much information, too many words to express a simple thought, too adult language for a child audience. Um, it's, a, it's a challenge that I continue to work on even into adulthood. And I think there were a couple of times where we stopped and said, nobody's going to believe that a, a 10 year old wrote this. So like tone it down. Uh, but also communicating clearly, succinctly, giving just the right amount of information and not too much. Now, I had a very helpful editor before it even got to the publisher. <laughs> My mom was cutting out all the, right, all the gristle around the meat of I'm the sure. idea. But that I remember even in conversation, it would be, you know, okay, Evan, give us a couple sentences, keep it concise, and then thank you very much. Let's move on. 
I'm imagining imagining little Evan right now. Like, well, and think about it, right? It yeah. was a recorded conversation. It's a lot easier to uh, go. Gotcha. Yeah, that's right. Recording versus pen to paper, writing it out yourself, or you can get physically tired that way. This is true. Um, my next question. So I have to rethink this. So at the time, or maybe even now, is there a specific quote or something in your life that encouraged you that kept you going during the writing process and if not then then what what's a quote that keeps you going now in your life i actually have a a very clear answer for this one in part because this is a quote that was beautifully framed in an art piece in our home from when i was a child it's a quote from von Goethe. maybe you've heard it before whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. From Von Goethe. Man, that is a great Beautiful. That is really good. Evan, thank you so much again for being on the show. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your life to bring back the idea of this book and to give it a little bit more life again today. Because I think a lot of children truly do need it. I think a lot of people who are going to hear this is going to impact their life. And I hope that this helps to give someone, uh, a, a, another child, the chance to have that positive life that you and your sister had with the help of your mom and uh, your dad and all the people that were supportive through you. So it's at the point where we tell people to... Uh, Please tell us where people can find you, if you have any events or any projects that you're working on right now that you would really like to share, uh, or just something you'd like to close the show with. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed my time with the two of you. Uh, this has been really cool, really fun. And frankly, any time I get to have an in-depth conversation about the book is a chance for me to continue processing, continue growing, continue healing. So thank you for that. And thank you for your questions and your perspective and for your wisdom. You can find the book on Amazon. You can find it at most local booksellers. It is also available in many public libraries. My recommendation is to check and see if it's available in your local library and many libraries. If not, you can submit a request for them to, to buy a copy. So you will do a good deed and pass it on. If the library that you go to doesn't already have a copy, you see if they can order one for you. That way, when you're done, the next family or the next child will have one accessible to them. Not everybody can afford to buy a copy. Uh, but again, they are available at most online booksellers. It's Divorce is Not the End of the World, Zoe and Evan's Coping Guide for Kids. Thank you so much for that, because I really believe that that's a, another way of helping to inspire children who can't buy the book or families that are going through this, that they can go to the libraries and get it to. Um, I'm glad that you guys were so positive in doing that and helping people as well. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Marcella, you did it again. You brought on mm -hmm. a, another author that is impactful it is truly impactful to uh our society today and even back then too and I, I just like he said with the whole idea of putting it in public libraries i think every author should do that 
um, that has a story to tell like this. So what are your thoughts on, on today's show? Um, well, Mac, I told you that Evan is, is a, so funny because I usually call him Evan Stern, <laughs> his whole name, because I love his name. I think it's a great name. Um, Evan Stern, he's, he's my friend. And that's, that's probably the most important thing. And I've, I've been, um, I think that I have just been looking to find ways to bring attention to my friends that have, have written these amazing books and, and spend time with them because, you know, we, we don't like spreading ourselves too thin and not being able to, to communicate with the people we care about. And, you know, while there's so many other authors that I'm looking to meet and, and develop a rapport with, I'm just so blessed to have Evan and some of the authors that we've had on the show so far. Um, I didn't know I needed this book until I opened, I opened it up and I looked at it last night and, um, I'm a little bit emotional because it came at the perfect time. Mm -hmm. So um, that's really all I want to say, to be honest. I think I need to meet up for now. And I, you know what? That's that's the best way to close out the show because this is exactly why we do what we do is because we want to share everybody's thoughts and everybody's unique perspective on certain things. And especially when it can hit us home, we know it's a good book because I'm very very picky on the books that I read. And I know Marcella is the same way. So we're never going to bring you something that we don't believe in. And like Marcella said, we've got a loads, loads of authors that we have ready to be on the show. And we hope that you guys can just continue to get the word out about the show and to express your interest in what you would like us to have on the show. What type of topics if you have a specific author that we can actually get to, uh, I know we all want to have the the big names like Stephen King or or people like that. That's a that's a goal, but normally we want to try to keep it to where it is people that are unknown or newly published because we want to give them that chance, and we need y'all's help to do this too. And so please just uh, join us every week as we bring on new authors to tell us their story, tell us about themselves and the story behind the story. So as I say every week, keep writing, keep inspiring, and keep sharing as you go beyond the pain. Hey folks, that's a wrap for this episode of Beyond the Pen. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you'd like to stay connected and up to date with everything Beyond the Pen, follow us on Twitter at Beyond the Pen Pod and Instagram at Beyond the Pen Podcast. For even more content and exclusive access to our guest profiles and more, make sure to visit our website at beyondthepenpodcast.com. Don't forget to join our Facebook fan page to interact with our favorite authors and fellow fans of the show. And if you want to take your Beyond the Pen experience to the next level, check out our selection of video interviews on Traverse TV's video on demand and live stream. You can access these interviews through your Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, Google Play, iTunes, or the Traverse TV app. So until next time, thanks again for tuning in and remember to keep writing inspiring and sharing as you go beyond the pen.